Amen. Praise the Lord. Excited to be here in God's house tonight. I hope you are as well. A lot of memories come when I when I come back to this place after being uh, having gone to college here, and then after you're distant from a place for a while and get to see people's faces. Good to see so many familiar faces. I couldn't help but think, Brother Snyder, when he mentioned Elizabeth, you and your wife were the first ones to take us out on our first date in Chicago. I still remember that. That was a wonderful time. And lots of memories, lots of people. Of course, uh, Brennan, I didn't get to say hi to you yet, so hi to Brennan. You can see lots of faces and people that I remember. Brother Ramus prays for me regularly and texts me. I appreciate those texts. It means a lot in the ministry. I have somebody encouraging you. And Mrs. Hyland, Mr. Hyland, good to see you back there. And Of course, I've got some kin here he mentioned. My son, Daniel. Good to have him. And my youngest son, Roscoe, traveled out with me today. I also have more kin than that. I've got Lauren. Good to see you, Lauren. Hyland, there. Good, good to have you here. And the young man sitting next to you as well. Young Mr. Samples, I see you also, yes. I see you as well, and I'll be watching you. Good. I'm glad to be here, and now I'm ready to preach. So let's take our Bibles out to Jeremiah chapter 29, if you will. Jeremiah chapter 29. We sure, uh, sure do pray for this church. Pray for your pastor. What a great man. We're excited about Brother Mitchell and the vision that he has for the church, and uh, pray for his family. Got a chance to go out to eat with him tonight, and uh, we love him. It's, it's kind of hard to imagine Brother Mitchell after going to college together see each other in the ministry, and it's just exciting as well. So we praise God for that. Jeremiah chapter 29. And if you will with me, find verse number 10. We're going to go to verse number 14, and uh, we'll put a little special emphasis maybe when we get to uh, verse number 13 and 14. When we get to those verses, if you will, maybe join with me and read those good and loud as well. Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning in verse number 10, the Bible says, for thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years are accomplished, as 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Let's open the prayer. Father, we come before you tonight. We recognize you to be the giver of all good things. It would be a great thing tonight, Lord, if uh, not only would we be in your house among your people and in your presence, but if your power would fall tonight. And if you'd speak to our hearts, Lord, we give you grace, just praise and glory for that. Lord, I pray that you would uh, empty myself of me and fill me with your spirit. Give me boldness as I ought to preach and utterance. And God, I pray for your people, the Holy Spirit-filled listeners, ready to receive the word of God. As we've gathered here on a Thursday night, cold, rainy, windy night, here in our hearts tonight, I pray the fire of God would warm us and strengthen us. Maybe there's somebody who just needs strength for their journey. They're getting faint-hearted and weary in the, way, in the way, and I pray, God, that tonight you'd give them a little bit of courage to keep going. Maybe there's some that need a rebuke, and I pray that you do that as well. Maybe there's somebody yet here tonight that needs to be saved. God, I pray that the work that you do would be truly a work of the Holy Spirit of God and not a man. 
Hide me behind the cross and let me be a, a channel only for you to preach and speak to your people. I pray you give clarity to the message. Let it come across clear and be applicable. And do a work we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Look in the Bible here, we find in the book of Jeremiah, God making a promise to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. And we return again to those beautiful passages there in verses 13 and 14. He says, and ye shall seek me, and ye shall seek me, and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. I've been, I've been stirred recently by this thought of the pursuit of God, seeking after the Lord. Finding not just him in one sense, but who he is and in a fellowship and a relationship with him. I'm, I'm terrified for our churches all across America today. I was actually uh, reading this book, The Pursuit of God by Tozer. And Tozer said at his time, he was, he was concerned that the people of God had gotten to a point where they just read their chapter, prayed, and went to church, and, and even went to an extra gospel meeting, and then, and then came in and, uh, and, and listened to a missionary tell of some harrowing story from across the sea, and that that was good enough for them, that they had, they had degraded to that low point of... And I thought, my goodness, if our people were doing that, whoo, glory... <laughs> I mean, if they were reading their Bibles and praying and coming to church and going to extra services, most churches in America would be like, hallelujah, boy, our people are on fire. And he said they had degraded to that point and raised a generation that were disconnected from God. Brother, where have we come to? It it always shocks me when I read about men 50 and 60 and 80 and 100 years ago, and they're talking how bad the world was then. I say, brother, where are we now? So disconnected from who God really is. And boy, if we could accomplish one thing tonight in this sermon, if one, if one thing could happen, just one person tonight could truly seek after God with their whole heart. If I could stir somebody, if I could light a fire under somebody, if I could challenge and encourage just one person, one young person, to truly seek after God. One, one adult just to, to set aside this half-hearted, manby-pamby, halfway in and halfway out Christianity and wholeheartedly seek after God. I'd, I'd count that a success. He said, you shall seek for me and find me. There's a pursuit of God that I believe is drastically missing in our churches today. And to pursue God is to pursue that which is holy, for God is holy. To pursue God is to pursue that which is eternal, because God is eternal. And by the way, we'll be judged in our works what sort they are. Are they of eternal value or temporary value? God is eternal, and when we pursue God, we, we pursue an eternal reward. God is valuable, and to pursue God is a value that nothing in this world could ever come close to attaining to. For all the talk of the possessions of this world, there's not a possession of this world that could delight the heart of man like owning God, truly knowing God for just a moment. And yet, if there's one thing that the people of this world rarely do, it's to pursue God and who He really is. I want to give you three things tonight in the pursuit of God. Three points to the sermon. If you're taking notes, I'd write this down as first note. That among, in, in the process of the pursuit of God, there will be this first and foremost, distractions. Boy, if you were tonight to determine 
that I am going to pursue God and I am going to find Him. I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to pay the price. By the way, how many are you glad tonight that salvation didn't cost you anything? Well, I'm glad for that. I thank God for the free gift of salvation. But let me tell you something. Sanctification is going to cost you much. Salvation is free, but really to buy into God and to know Him at the level that God wants you to know Him is going to cost you much. It might cost you relationship with family. It certainly will cost you relationship with people that you call friends. In the pursuit of God, when you really buy into God and you're ready to, I mean, get in lock, stock, and barrel and, and everything for God, it will cost you the relationships of people that you call, in some cases, your dearest friends. They may walk away from you, or it may be that God requires for you to walk away from them in order to attain what God desires for you. But one of the first things you're going to find in the pursuit of God is distraction. And the first distraction that you're going to come up against in the pursuit of God is your flesh. I didn't say the devil because he's not the first thing that you're going to encounter. He certainly is an amiable foe that none of us are really prepared, fully prepared to fight. But a bigger foe is your flesh. Your flesh will hinder you from knowing God at the level you ought to. Don't believe me? Hit your knees in the morning and pray. And you'll find that the flesh will take control. And some of you have gotten a pretty good nap in the pursuit of God, haven't you? <laughs> Sit down to read your Bible and before long your, your eyes will be tracing along the, the, uh, the, the lines of the page while your mind is thinking about your work that you need to do today. Isn't it incredible that I, I'm not a multitasker, but somehow my brain, my flesh will find a way to multitask while I try to read my Bible and I'm, I'm obligated somewhere else with my mind thinking about other obligations that I need to do. Your flesh is a distraction between you finding God. And I'll tell you what, it's a bigger, it's a bigger problem than you even know. I mean, you had the experience in your Christian life that you thought, I mean, you were sure that you had laid it all on the altar. I mean, God had full control. There wasn't a level of your life that God didn't have and didn't get, didn't get to call the shots in. He truly was Lord of your life. By the way, I don't believe in Lordship salvation, but I believe every Christian ought to make Jesus the Lord of their life. Amen? That's a matter of sanctification. And, and uh, boy, you just thought you gave it all to God. And about the time you thought you had arrived, God flipped the page and showed you a whole other level you hadn't even touched. Yes, sir. This is a bigger thing than you know. Do you remember when, uh, when uh, then-President Donald Trump said, let's drain the swamp? <laughs> I don't think he had a clue how deep it was, did you? Listen, when you start to drain the swamp of your flesh, you'll be shocked the monsters that come out of the deep. You'll be surprised how selfish and self-centered how egotistical and how drawn to your desires and your wants and your flesh that you really are. Well, it won't take long before somebody will say something about you and you'll spend a whole day obsessing about it. You won't get sleep at night because of what somebody typed on social media about you. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It doesn't, it doesn't smart to us near as much when they do it about somebody else as it does when they do it about us. You know what we're showing? That our flesh is still alive and well, Brother Eric. But it's still ready for the fight. It's still ready to go at it. It's still self-centered and self-focused and self-promoting and self-praising. And this flesh is the biggest distraction you're going to have in trying to pursue God. 
Now, I want to say this. We've got to be careful because sometimes we enumerate that everything the flesh does is wrong. But God said, you know, I can eat and drink according to the praise of God. The daily practice of life is not wicked. Jesus Christ was able to live 33 years in the flesh of a human being. God, man, I understand. But still came and lived in flesh. And, and all the obligations of flesh needed nothing immoral or wrong or wicked. It was, it was amiable. When he ate, it was worthy for him to eat. When he drank, it was worthy for him to drink. When he rested, it was right for him to rest. And sometimes maybe we overbeat ourselves up for all those things that are natural and good. But, but oftentimes... Oftentimes, we don't accredit for ourselves just how strong the flesh really is in its desires. And the flesh is going to be a distraction for you. Many are distracted by worldliness, by the desire to run from God rather than to God. Remember when Adam and Eve ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? It was the first time in the human experience that we weren't pursuing God. Up to that point, God would come in the cool of the day and man would report what had happened that day. Not that God didn't know what had happened, but there's sweet fellowship between mankind and God. I'm sure maybe Adam or Eve had tried a new fruit or saw something brand new to them that day. And they were excited to be able to tell God. And when God came in the cool of the day with an eager heart, they would run to God in fellowship with the Lord. But that day, something was different. The flesh had got in the way. This time, rather, run, rather than pursuing God and running to God, they ran from God and made a mockery of trying to hide their sin with fig leaves. Now, I don't know about, much about making clothes, but if I was ever going to pick a leaf to hide myself, a fig leaf is not the one. But they made their silly attempt to try to cover their nakedness before a holy God who could see everything, and instead of running to God, they ran from God. And might I just say this tonight, if you find yourself in the middle of sin, shameful sin against God, God would rather you run to Him than away from Him. The pursuit of God is right at any level of the human experience. If you have found yourself a prodigal son in the hog pen tonight, it's still right to pursue God. I will arise and go to my father was the first statement that that young man made in the right direction. It would be right for us tonight to arise and go to the father to pursue him. But the flesh will come in the way. Be it self-love, self-protection, self-promotion, the flesh will rise its ugly head. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. We'll share, share several passages with you tonight in the book of Galatians. And chapter 5, we're going to see this, that the flesh is a strong thing. Let's see, Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 13. Paul's letter to the church at Galatia was one of stern rebuke. He called them, oh foolish Galatians. I wonder what he would call the church of our day and age. But he's a foolish Galatians was his description of them. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. The Bible says, Brethren, we have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. You know what's unique about the flesh? The flesh can be alive and well right in the middle of a Bible study. Popular thing out where we're at from uh, Western Pennsylvania, the Pittsburgh area. Nearly everybody Bible studies. They come together, believe it or not, Brother Armacos, they come together and they drink, they drink alcohol and smoke cigarettes and Bible study together. No joke, this is not an exaggeration. They come and they talk Bible, they open up their Bibles and they, well, you know, 
Here's what the Bible says. This is what I think. This is my interpretation of Scripture. You know, the, the flesh can be alive and well right in a Bible study. In the middle of religious observances, the flesh can be alive and well. You know, you can be faithful to church and be controlled by the flesh. Check that off my list. Check that off my list. Check that off my list. Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Better than that guy anyway. <laughs> That's the flesh. And he says, hey, listen, uh, you're called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh because our flesh, our heart is so deceptive and so deceitful that it'll even use the liberty wherewith Christ has set us free to please the flesh. For all that is in, the, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. His command is that by, uh, by love we should serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in this one statement, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Boy, that doesn't describe fundamentalism in our day and age. By the way, if there is no opportunity for grace and restoration, then we ought to shut the doors and not come back next Sunday. If a person can't find forgiveness in Christ, then brother, what are we doing here? I don't know about you, but I, I need a lot of forgiveness. I need a lot of grace. You know, your flesh is so puffed up and it's so proud that you look down your pharisaical nose at somebody else who has sinned worse than you have and you'll ostracize them and not give grace. But the law commands that we love one another. But if you bite devour, if you're just so determined to snip and bite and be ornery with one another, you better watch out you don't get eat up with one another. You're going to swallow yourself up. <laughs> This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would, but if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, uh, endings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Boy, Brother Mitchell, we had quite the list in Second Timothy, but boy, this is a whole nother list. The works of the flesh. And if you are not controlled by the Spirit tonight, I can, you can mark it down no matter how pharisaical whole you look like sitting in your pew with your tie on. You, if you are not controlled by the Spirit, you are controlled by the flesh. No one else may be able to see it right now. But isn't it amazing how these works eventually work their way out? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, no holds barred, do whatever you want, idolatry, worship of other things other than God, witchcraft, which is rebellion involved in that as well, hatred. Well, you say, I wouldn't touch a Ouija board, no, but if you would, uh, if you'd hate your brother, God puts it in the same list. Variants and emulations and wrath and strife, seditions, heresies, murders. He said, I never killed anybody. Yeah, but if you hate your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. <laughs> and these are the works of the flesh. 
It would behoove Fairhaven Baptist Church for every member sitting here on a Thursday night to be filled with the Spirit of God, controlled by walking after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Could you imagine what different church we would have if our churches were filled with people who were controlled by the Spirit, not the flesh? Wow. We'd turn America back to God. Brother Reardon, look out Mexico. Here we come. I mean, if we were filled, genuinely filled with the Spirit, said two of them turned the world upside down, brother. <laughs> if we were filled with the Spirit, boy, the devil would be on his heels, running. Truth is, today you could almost describe the church on her heels running from the devil. It feels like he's rolling us up, like he has flanked us, and he is just rolling us up like a carpet. That's what it feels like across America. Like he's a, the prince in the power of the air has somehow gained power over the people of the church. And we are held in a special spot under the wings of Jehovah. He can't even touch us. So how is he having such an effective work if it's not for the fact that we're filled with the flesh, not filled with the spirit? He's saying here, this is the, the, the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary. They're at enmity. They're at odds with one another. You can't do the both. Well, it'd be, be, be pretty easy for us to prove it if we just put down the screen and just took each one of us tonight and started putting up the works of the flesh that we've altered in this last week. We probably emptied the building out. People are like, no, I'm out of this, I'm out of this meeting now. <laughs> well, if we could, we could put up on that screen the thoughts and the comments and the conversations and the attitudes and the, I mean, the flesh, if we were to put that up on that screen, I'd be the first one out the door. And God's commanded us that we not be filled with this flesh because it, it lusts against the Spirit. It's against it. It's contrary to it. So that you cannot do the things that you would. Your flesh is going to be the first obstacle to you really following after God. You know, it's going to be a distraction between you and, and, and pursuing God. False prophets. I don't have the time to break it all down tonight. It would be good for you to take some time to go back to Jeremiah in chapter 28, the chapter previous to where we read our text. And you'll find Jeremiah, this young prophet, up against uh, Hananiah, a false prophet. And Hananiah has just said at the beginning of chapter 28, he has said, Oh, no, 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 don't you worry about Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. God's going to sweep them away. They're going to be gone just like it's happened before. There'll be no judgment to this land. We're all good. Y'all come, calm down. No big deal here. And, uh, and, and when Jeremiah heard it, he said, Amen. <laughs> Praise God. The Lord do so and more. That sounds wonderful. But you better mark yourself, Hananiah, because if you're speaking and this isn't God speaking through you, God doesn't take that lightly, people saying, hey, I'm speaking for the Lord and God didn't send you. Amen. By the way, I'm not into pushing men into the ministry that aren't called. You better know God's called you to the ministry to get into the ministry. So we have a shortage of preachers. You bet we do. Uh, but, but you better be called rather than push yourself into something that God didn't send you into doing. He said, uh, if you're really the, really the voice of God, God do so and more. Sure seemed to me like God told me that he was going to judge this land and you better go out to Nebuchadnezzar and just surrender to him. But if that's, that's the word of the Lord, great. And they, they begin to part. Oh, and, and Hananiah wanted to put emphasis on it. Took the yoke that was on Jeremiah's neck. He took it off of Jeremiah's neck and smashed it. He said, the Lord's going to break Nebuchadnezzar's yoke. <laughs> Jeremiah said, amen, praise the Lord. They started walking away. And God spoke to Jeremiah. He said, nope, you go right back there to Hananiah and tell him he's a false prophet deceiving the people. 
Jeremiah turned, turned around and found, found a, a, a Hananiah. He said, Hananiah, you are a false prophet. The Lord has not sent you. And you caused the people of God to believe a lie. And because of that, you're not going to live out the rest of this year. He died the seventh month of that year. He said, you broke the yokes of wood, but I'm going to replace them with yokes of iron because I've sent Nebuchadnezzar into this land to judge it. This is right previous to this wonderful passage of you're going to seek me and be, I'm going to be found of you. You see, I'm bringing judgment into the land because you have not sought for me. I'm going to put you into a condition where you'll long for me. I'll tell you, brother, God can't make you serve him. God can't make you faith. He's not going to make you. God can. He can do anything he wants. He's not going to make you force your hand, but he can make you wish you had. You can look back on your life with a lot of regret and say, I should have. I should have done this, I should have done that, I should have been here, I should have stayed with this, I should have got involved in that. And, and you can look back on your life with a lot of regret, uh, yet Han and I was a false prophet and he was causing the people of God to believe a lie. And I'm simply here to tell you tonight that if you're building your house on, on sand, on the flesh, it has to fall at some point, no matter how big you build it. Your, your marriage is built on the sand, it's going to crumble. If your, if your family is built on the sand, it's going to crumble. If the ministry is built on the sand, it's got to be disassembled at some point. You might as well start with God and say, God, take this thing apart and let's start again. Get me founded on the rock. I'd rather have a little cabin built on the rock than to have a, a mansion built on the sand because the sand has to be, it has to fail at some point. And so I'm trying to challenge you and encourage you not to be people of the flesh, but be people of the Spirit. Many distractions will come your way. I want to preach tonight as well about the direction of God. How do you find Him? Malachi 3.6, He said, I, the Lord, change not. By the way, how do you find an omnipresent God? David beautifully talked about it in Psalms 139, as he said, Whither shall I flee from thy presence? Whither shall I go from thy spirit? I go to the depths, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall guide me. So, God, you're everywhere. How do you pursue something that's everywhere? Is there a direction? Pull out a compass and say, where is God? <laughs> Closest passage I can come to is the Lord dwelleth in the north, so let's go north, right? God is not bringing you to a physical geographic location. This pursuit of God is not a physical place. He picked up the children of Israel out of Egypt and carried them through the wilderness, brought them on eagles' wings, and he said, And I brought you unto myself, not to Canaan land, not to Jerusalem, not to, not to the promised land, not just to the Jordan, but to myself. There is a spiritual journey that God wants every one of us involved in where we are pursuing God on a spiritual level. This is not flesh. This is not a flesh walk. It does control the flesh. It does, it does have to do with the flesh, but it is a spiritual journey. It is a spiritual walk. This is no physical location that God... We have no Mecca as a Christian. We don't even really have an earthly Jerusalem to go to. I've been there. I've been to the Wailing Wall and thought maybe I'd get goosebumps when I stood there. And do you know I don't? I prayed when I was there. I think that's what you're supposed to do when you go to the Wailing Wall. I didn't wail, but I did pray. There was no like. Rushing wind sound, no fire on top of my head. Felt like I was close to, as close to God right up next to the wailing wall as I was anywhere else I've ever been. 
Because as Christians, we, we don't have a holy place to go to. We don't have a holy day. We don't have these physical objects. We have no lucky rabbit's foot to carry around with us that is an object of who God is that somehow gets us closer to God. Regardless of what the Catholics say, your prayers in the church are not three times more powerful than the prayers outside the church. In the Christian realm, this is not a physical, geographic location that you have to be to to find God. That's not how this works. It is a spiritual thing. It is, it is of the Spirit. It is a walk of the Spirit. It's disconnected from the flesh. You don't get a Sunday school badge to wear around when you finally nail it. You know, I wear this badge around because I got the most visitors, or I said the most Bible verses, or I got a little ribbon to wear, you know, because... I've done something great. That's not how this journey toward God, this pursuit of God, is not found in in some physical object you get to brag about. Where's the direction? If you wanted to find a polar bear, where would you go? No, there's a place to go to. You want to go see a whale? There's a place to go look. I've heard in the summer a few of them get beached up here on Lake Michigan. Oh, no, that's a bleached whale, not a beach whale. I'm sorry, that's terrible. Where would you go to find these things? There's a place to go. Could you do that with God? Let's go there and we'll find God here. No, the reality is you could be an invalid laying in your bed and find God. Oftentimes that's where God has to put a man or a woman before they ever fully look for him with their whole heart. Who is this holy God that we must pursue and how do we find him? If it's not on a holy day, if it's not in a holy place, if there's no high place to go to, God disregards high places. He's not looking for that. If it's, if it's not the pillar of the temple where the Pharisees stood and told everybody how great he was. Nor did the, nor did the publican over here hiding himself get in a more special spot in the temple. <laughs> But it was his hard cried God that God noticed. There is a direction to God. And, and God, since he does not change, he is more steady than the North Star. More trustworthy than the North Pole. He is anchored. He is solid. And there is a way back to him when you're lost in the woods. You could use the river uh, to follow your way out. And there is a river filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. This gives us some guidance and direction. Uh, When you pull out a compass to try to find true north, we have a compass. It's called his word. It points us right back to God. The river flows right from his veins. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And and there there are guideposts, but all of these are only to bring us to himself. To who he is. Paul said that I know him. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Being made conformable to his death. Maybe your flesh is that different than mine. But mine goes. (laughs) No thank you. Don't sign me up for that list. Suffering. Death. No. No. Ice cream? Yes. Death? No. That's my flesh. Maybe you're made out of different stuff than I am. But it is the conquering of that flesh that God wants to, wants to do in you and He wants to do in me that as He, as He draws us closer to Himself, there, you, you know, uh, He said, you're carnal. Are you not carnal? You know how I know you're carnal? There's bitter envies and strifes and divisions among you. Aren't you carnal? 
proof positive you're not dead. You're still fighting. Every argument you ever get in is proof positive. And I know that they earnestly contend for the faith. Praise the Lord. We need some fighters in our day and age. Amen. But when we're fighting for ourselves, we're proving that's not how it went. That's not what I said. That's not what really happened. Boy, that argument can go on ad infinitum, can it? You should get over yourself. Quit fighting for self. Start searching for God. There is a direction where God is. If we go to James chapter 4, James chapter 4, and I'll hurry along. Notice in this powerful passage is a, a clue, a roadmap, a way to where God is. James chapter 4 and verse number 5. James 4, verse 5. Do you think the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? (laughs) Heard that one already tonight, didn't we? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. You know what's unique about that statement? When God resists the proud, it's his grace in that person's life. You get all puffed up with pride, and God will let you fall flat on your face. And it's his grace trying to help you. I don't like criticism any more than you do. But you know what criticism can prove to do? Even if it's unfair criticism, it can diminish self and lift up God. Do you ever think of it that way? Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing the trying of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have her perfect work. That you may be per- com- perfect and, uh, complete and, and perfect. And have all, all this that God wants you to have. Just let him do the work in life. And instead, they're not being fair. That's not the point of it. The point of your affliction is not fair. The point of your affliction is to diminish self and lift up God. And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. Maybe we don't see the same numbers of people and the same amount of God's grace and glory going on in our lives today in our churches because Christ is not lifted up but the flesh is. We count a man of God if he's got some personality flair and boy, he can really do something and stand up for himself. And that, that's what we do. Boy, wasn't that great? Uh, you know what ought to be great about every message? The Word of God. <laughs> that's, what, that's what ought to make a message great. Yet we like personality. So this guy is more a man of God than that guy. But rather, looking at the word of God, see, the flesh is coming up. It's lusting against the spirit. It's taking control. And he says, I want you to submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When we get close to God, first of all, there's a humility that is necessary. Humility is necessary to get close to God. Watch Moses coming up to the bush. Take your shoes off your feet, Moses. Show reverence to this place. Slow your roll a little bit. Whoa, hold on. You're coming, you're coming awful close to a very holy place. Take your shoes off, Moses, and show some respect to God. Humble yourself in the sight of God, and He will lift you up. You want to get close to God? You will not get close to God with pride. 
I believe God's against homosexuality. I believe with all my heart. I think the word of God is as clear as you can possibly get on that subject. Don't even need to revisit that. But you know, as much as we might disdain and hate homosexuality, when God made a list of things that he hates, he didn't put that on the top of abominations. He put a sin that's so prevalent in our churches that maybe none of us are innocent of it. Proud look. Oh, look what that guy did. Look what this guy did. Oh, I know what that person's doing. Did you hear the gossip? God said, if I could make a list of things that disgust me, I'd put right at the top of the list a proud look, thinking you're better than somebody else. He even gave a direct command to esteem others better than ourselves. That would kill every amount of gossip at this church today if we obeyed it. It's really hard for me to gossip about Brother Armacost if I think he's better than me. Let me tell you what I know about him. You know what you're doing? Trying to say you're better and trying to get somebody on your side and we're better. Aren't we all better than this guy? Meanwhile, God looks at it with such disgust and disdain that he can't even use you. Use your pride. Tell me this isn't a problem in our churches. (laughs) This, This is prevalent. This is out of control in our churches. He's saying here, I want you to humble yourself, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Not only is there a submitting that needs to happen, but there is a drawing nigh to God. There is a desire in the heart to get to God. It hungers after God. It's amazing. Those men that wanted to get away from God received just and swift judgment on their lives. Those men who had a heart after God, who hungered after him, found grace and mercy for their error. There was no man in the Bible that was perfect. Other than one, Jesus. Outside of that, everybody I know, I got dirt on. Right, Brother Olson? I mean, we dirt on everybody. (laughs) I got dirt on every Bible character. I can tell you what they did. You know, some of them found mercy and grace from a holy God because their hearts leaned hard towards him. You know, Saul got zero mercy and David did. Because Saul was leaning away from God and David was leaning towards him. Saul could confess his sin because of pride. Honor me now before the people. Don't embarrass me. And David said, it's me, Lord. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this great wickedness in thy sight. Really, if I could categorize the sins, I'd say David's was worse than Saul's. But God ended Saul's ministry and let David's kingdom reign. Incredible. Why? Because you draw nigh to God, and God will draw nigh to you. When uh, sailors fall into the ocean, they have these suits they're supposed to put on their flotation, and they warm their bodies. But there's another little device added to that. When they pull pull this little rip cord, there's a little flashing beacon that comes out and starts shining a bright light. And, and boy, if you had to fly in a plane over a, a, a over a trackless ocean in this vast amount of water, and you're looking for this little tiny speck out there, just trying to find it. How did you ever find that? Even if it's a red suit at night, how would you ever find that thing? That man is lost to our sight until the beacon starts flashing. And then from miles away, you can find this little flashing light. He's doing very little to find the rescuers except for make sure that light is still flashing. And the rescuers are seeking after him. You know what's unique about God? He's already seeking you. He's already looking for you. 
and humility and calling out to God. God is nigh unto them that would, would call unto Him. He's, he's nigh unto them that are broken and contrite spirit. It touches the heart of God. It is a flashing beacon. When you come to an altar and humble yourself and God, God, it's me. It's not everybody else I'm pointing my finger at. It's me that's resisting my ability to come to you. And God, I, I want to be near you. Draw me nearer, nearer. To thy precious side. God, I want to be with you. It's like a beacon shining out to a God who's already searching for you. It's like a little lamb starting to cry out from the thicket that the shepherd is already looking for. And when you draw nigh to God, your feeble steps towards him cause God to run towards you. I heard one preacher say that if you walk towards God, he'll run towards you. You run towards God, he'll fly towards you. God's steps will make up all the difference in the distance that you've made from you and your God. But it comes first through humility and then drawing nigh unto God. And then also uh, being able to have a heart of forgiveness and grace towards one another. Look here, he says, uh, he says, humble yourselves in the sight of God in verse number 10. And then in verse number 11, he says, speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if he be a judge of the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Did you give the law? Did you show up on Mount Sinai and melt the rocks? Did you come in that flaming inferno on top of that holy mountain and meet with Moses so that Moses' face will shine? Then what right do you have judging another brother in Christ before his own master he'll rise and fall? But we all do. Pass judgment and we know his heart and we know what she's up to and well, we got it all down. When you can read it as clear as I can. Speak not evil one of another. Some of you would have nothing to say if you obeyed that verse. Nothing. You wouldn't even know what to talk about. Some of you would lose your tongue. Wouldn't even know what to say if it wasn't for criticism for someone else. But you're a Christian. Look how close to God you are. It's no wonder that our... Our form of Christianity is so anemic and weak and brings so little revival and so few souls saved and so many, so few lives converted. Converted to what? I stand there at Hannahstown Road Baptist Church on a Sunday morning and I ask myself all the time, if God had a lost man that he wanted to see saved, could he trust us to send a man through our doors? So that that lost man would see Christians who love each other so much that he would know we're the children of God? Could God trust us to give him the gospel? Could God trust us to be so Holy Spirit filled that in coming in contact with us, he'll come in contact with the power of God? Could God trust Hannahstown Road Baptist Church? I wonder if we could ask that of Fairhaven Baptist Church. Can God trust you to send a hurting woman? whose life has just been flipped upside down this week, and she's looking for God, trying to pursue Him, and, and she's got as good a chance to walk into a church and run into a false prophet, maybe a far better chance to run into a false prophet or tell to be baptized or to do some other false vain work to get saved, or to walk into a church like this where she can hear the gospel preached and, and come in contact with people that love each other. Could God trust us? But if thou art a judge of the law, thou art a doer of the law, but a judge. And there's only one judge. Are you that judge? Are you that righteous, that holy, that good that you gave the law? 
You can't do both. You can't judge the law and do the law, God says. Right here in the passage. Thou art not a, ju- thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Why don't you leave the judging up to God? Look into your own wicked heart and say, wow, do I need help. God, help me get over this rotten, filthy flesh that I'm living in and function in the spirit so that I can find you, God. I don't have the time to preach it, but I'm going to give you my last point and I'll close. That in the, in the text is divine deliverance. Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 29. In the text is divine deliverance. Yes, there are distractions that will keep us from finding God as we pursue him. Then as well, we'll find direction where God is. He is. It's not a physical location. There is a spiritual journey towards God. It begins with humility and resisting the devil and submitting to God and not speaking evil of our brother. And this is the direction towards God. Jeremiah chapter 29. Let's look at verse 14 again and we'll close. He said, you shall seek for me. You're going to find me in verse 13. When you search for me with all your heart. And verse 14 says, And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity. You ever just feel sometimes trapped? Could we use that word? Here I am. I'm trying... Kind of trying to serve God, you know. Just feel trapped in circumstances and things that ought to went good, but they went bad. Just kind of feel trapped. Feel like I can't really go forward and I can't really go backwards and I can't go side to side. I can't just, I'm just trapped. You know, there's a deliverance of freeing that is found in Jesus Christ when you truly wholehearted, I mean, with all your heart. You give it over to him. Your sins will trap you. Your pride will trap you. Your flesh will hold you back from God. But in God there is a divine deliverance that will overcome all of it. When we search for him with all our heart. As though it mattered more than everything else. Finding God. Can I ask you a question? When's the last time you found God in your devotions? I know, I know. He's omnipresent. He was there. But when's the last time you just found him? You found his face. You heard his voice. You felt his power. You knew that he had just filled your cup to the brim. That you had come in contact with God. The God of heaven had showed up for you. When's the last time you hit your knees? And it was like the courts of heaven just rang with your voice as you besought the throne of grace for Grace to help in time of need. When's that last time you found God? Or are you trapped by a schedule? Are you trapped by a hurried life? No time for God. That'd be a good description of our generation. No time for God. Let's not be that people. There's divine deliverance available. And it's available for every one of us. It's even commanded that we access it. Let's stand our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. You've been very attentive tonight and I appreciate that.